Hello, Galactic Castaways. This is Alpha Control, the podcast about Irwin Allen's classic sci-fi adventure TV series, Lost in Space. I am your mission controller for this podcast, Colonel Lane August, and I'm joined by my trusty co-controller, Dr. Kurt Kersteiner. Kurt and I are old college chums, children of the 1960s, and most importantly, big fans of Lost in Space. Welcome aboard as we blast off together to celebrate Erwin Allen's Lost in Space. Now, let's get ready to launch. a special episode of Alpha Control, a Lost in Space podcast. Today, I'm flying the Jupiter 2 solo without my trusty co-host, Kurt, but that's because we have a very special guest to interview, Mr. Craig Reinbrecht. Now, Craig is the leader of the B9 Robot Builders Club, which is a fantastic hobby organization that has over 600 members who either have built or are building their very own lost in space robot replica now we're not talking about a 12 inch model robot folks although those are great no the b9 robot builders make studio quality full-scale replicas of the original lost in space robot that are absolutely stunning the club offers information and technical support to builders links to parts vendors as well as a forum where members can show off their b9s Many members of the club take their B9s on the road to conventions and other events where the public has the opportunity to see these beautiful creations in person. All of this information is available on the club's fascinating website, which I'll link to in the show notes. Even if you're not ready to start working on your own B9 robot project, yet, (laughs) there's tons of great photos and reference material that any Lost in Space fan would love to peruse. Before we speak with him, I want to give a little background information on Mr. Reinbrecht. Craig lives in Toledo, Ohio, and when he's not involved with his B9 club activities, he works as a project manager for a major information technology company, which I think is only appropriate. During the course of researching and building his own B9, as well as helping others in the club, Craig has become an expert on the history and specifications of the original Lost in Space robot. So today, we're going to talk to him not only about the B9 Robot Builders Club, but get a little bit into the weeds on the robot itself, because I've got a lot of questions for him on the character that Dr. Smith lovingly referred to as the bubble-headed booby. Mr. Craig Reinbrecht, sir, welcome to Alpha Control. Well, hello, and uh, thanks for having me. This is quite the honor. Oh, uh, we appreciate it. Oh, it's it's our honor to have you on our show. I am so happy you could join us on our podcast celebrating Irwin Allen's original Lost in Space. And I want you to tell us today all about the B9 Robot Builders Club. But since this is kind of your area of expertise, I'm also going to ask you some detailed questions about the original Lost in Space robot, as well as these these really beautiful full-scale replicas that you guys produce. I, I am just blown away by those things. 
And we're going to get into sure. Yeah, I want to get into all that stuff since we've got your time, and thank you again for that. But before we do, I'd like to start a little bit earlier with just a couple background questions. I mean, what's what's the origin of your relationship with the Lost in Space robot, and at what point did you decide you wanted to have one? Uh, probably when I was about 10. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know... Me uh, too, and, and by the way. Of, <laughs> hey, yeah, so... And a lot of this, you, you know, to your listeners, is going to be a, a very similar story. But I, you know, when I was young, and I and I call I consider myself a second generation Lost in Space fan. I probably didn't watch too much of it when it was originally on because I was a little bit young. Right. Same in, here. In fact, I have an older brother, and I have a memory. So I was four when it first came on, and I remember him watching it. I vividly remember this in black and white. And I came in the room and saw the scene where Will is on top of the chariot, uh, and the robot is saying, kill all unnecessary personnel <laughs> at the earliest convenience, and that scared the crap out of me <laughs> at four years old. Yeah. And I don't think I watched it after that. And then I know the Batman came on, and that's what I watched at that time. But at some time before the end of the, you know, the original series, I, I think I did start watching. Mm-hmm. And then in reruns is where I really, you know, fell in love with it. But uh, something about Lost in Space really touched me. The, the adventure of it, the, sure. the, the cool hardware, uh, but the thing that just really, really touched me somehow in, in, in deep was the robot mm. and this relationship between Will and the robot. Yes. And, and I don't even think I realized how deeply that affected me until much later in life when this whole robot building stuff came up. But I always wanted uh, a, a robot like that, and I don't, you know, there may have been a point where I thought that, hey, that's a real robot, but I, I think I knew for a long time, hey, that's probably a guy in a suit, but you know what, that didn't change the the, the fantasy of it for me and wanting that robot, so I actually started to try to build a robot back probably when I was 10, and I started off making an arm out of dryer hose, and I uh. made a claw that I cut out of wood and I made it like it operated like scissors and you could stick mm. your arm in it and operate the, the claws. But, you know, that was about as far as I got then. It just, the, the challenge of it was too great, but it was always this thing in the back of my head. I want to build a robot. I want that robot. I just have to say we could oh, be no. blood brothers because it sounds like we're roughly similar age and background. I did the same thing. I, I have vague rem- memories uh-huh. of watching Lost in Space in first run, but when it was on in syndication reruns, that's that's really where uh, it cemented my my love for the show and everything. And I did a similar thing. I actually I actually uh, had a hol- Halloween costume one year, a robot costume. It was very crude, uh, dryer hose for the arms, a similar thing, oh, a big cardboard box that I you know yeah. covered in aluminum foil and drew on the the lights in the front and everything. But I wanted one of those robots so bad, so. The difference between you and me is you have one and I don't. So continue, <laughs> continue on. <laughs> well, you know, and then uh, you know, and the years went by, and I and I had a, a, a one of the Remco robots, and that, that plays into the story later. Uh, but I had a, a Remco robot, and there's a lot of Lost in Space fans that are listening here pro- probably did. But mm-hmm. you know, and then I got into, and I heard Kevin Burns say this in his podcast. You know, got into you know maybe later college years, and that kind of faded away a little. I you know, got interested more in cars and girls, and you know, oh, yeah. and wasn't that interested. And somehow or another, my Remco robot got sold at a garage sale or 
it disappeared. And I, at the time, I, I didn't really care that much. But, uh, you know, one of the things that then reawakened my interest in Lost in Space was when the movie came out. And I know this has got to be true for a lot of other Lost in Space fans, right. because then you started to see a lot of these uh, new products come out for the original series and these new, ro- you know, toy robots the, that were, you know, came available at the time. That started to pique my interest. And then I started remembering that, this Remco robot. I was like, gosh, I really wish I'd had, you know, I could have that back. And around that time, or so now we're talking late 90s, you know, eBay is, was kind of in its infancy and it was just starting. Uh-huh. And so I, I got onto eBay and said, well, I wonder if I could find that there. That's the kind of thing. Oh, of course, you'd find a whole bunch of them. But the prices were, oh, my gosh, you know, 400 bucks for, <laughs> for a Remco robot. Yes. You know, I, I searched and searched and searched. And then one day I, I was on a, trip for work and I had a lot of time to just surf on the internet which is was kind of a new thing but I was looking for this Remco robot in the search I came across a, a picture of a full-size robot that somebody was selling wow. and and that's I gotta say the moment that kind of transformed my life right mm-hmm. there I saw that and I'm like oh my god somebody has actually done this because this <laughs> thought of building one had never left me. I, I even had thoughts that you know, someday, you know, my, my kids are grown up or when I retire, I'm going to build that robot. But when I saw this, I'm like, oh my God, this is possible. And so this piqued my interest. And so I contacted the guy. I said, hey, can I call you? And I, I did. I, I talked to the guy, asked him a million questions and you know, I think he was hoping I would buy it. So he wasn't forthcoming with everything. Uh, <laughs> But and he didn't mention anything about a builders club, but but it piqued my interest, and I got back on the internet. Now I started searching more and more, and then boom, I found the B9 Robot Builders Club. Cool. So I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, a long way from from LA or anything. I'm really jealous of those guys that were you know much closer to that action. Sure. Uh, but now uh, as an adult, I'm living in Toledo, very close, to, a couple hours from from Cleveland, but one of the things I discovered was the guy that created the club and the head of the club, Dewey Howard, uh, was from Cleveland. And the more I looked into the club and read their messages and things, I realized the whole epicenter of this club was was in Cleveland. I was only a couple hours away, still had family there, so it was very easy for me to go over and visit them and see the, uh, you know, see a full-size robot for the first time. That's how I got into this, this this whole building thing. I mean, that that's how I got into it now. That is awesome. And it must have been really amazing to see a full-size robot for the first time. It was. And what and before I even saw it, the the, the guy's robot that I went out to see, he goes, well, "You're going to be really surprised because when you see it in person, it it, it looks way bigger than you think." <laughs> and that is true. It's big. You know, and you see it in in three dimensions uh you know, that torso, it's, it's a big thing. It's kind of imposing, but it's very, very cool. Oh. Well, since you bring um, that up, let's talk about the robot itself. All right. The name of the club is the B9 Robot Builders Club. What? A lot of people ask this question. What is the official name of the robot in Lost in Space? Well, you know, at the, the, during the show, they just called him Robot. Mm-hmm. And he really didn't have a name other than Robot. However... In one episode, they referred to him, or he referred to himself as uh, Robot Model B9. Mm. And it was only in one episode. That's the only time they ever referenced that. And for some reason, that kind of stuck. Now, in a later episode, uh, he was then referred to as uh, Robot of the Class M3. Mm. And that was, again, only mentioned that one time. 
both those episodes were written by Peter Packer, the same guy. So it makes you wonder, you know, was that intentional or was that just a, do you forget? It's, it's, it's hard to say, but he could be model B9 class M3. And that's kind of the way I, I like to think of it, but it, but the B9, I think in later years and, and, you know, he needed a name. And so that's what took and that, that was predates my involvement in the club or anything. So he was already the B9 robot when I discovered it, but that's kind of how that, uh, he got that name. Yeah. And of course, in the first few episodes, they call him an environmental control robot. So I, I always, it's never really explained, but I always took that to mean that, you know, the, the Robinsons were going to be in suspended animation for five years and the robot was there to make sure that nothing happened to the environmental control systems or the freezing tubes or something like that. But he's also used to go out and perform tests on the environment of the planet. So it, it has several meanings and functions. I, I guess we're reading a lot into it. But the other thing that I was going to say about that designation B9, and I don't know if this is pure retconning, but I've heard a couple people say that that was a play on the word benign. In other words, he, he started off as a sort of a menacing, you know, he's reprogrammed by Dr. Smith to, to destroy the Jupiter 2 and then this B9 thing is like well now he's he's not really a bad robot he's 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 benign <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that before <laughs> or not but I have not but that uh, yeah hey anything's possible okay yeah. well let's say let's talk a little bit about that original robot though so one of the things we talked about earlier and this is mentioned uh, in several sources that when the show first came out Erwin Allen was very cagey about admitting that it wasn't an actual robot that it was a basically a costume, a suit, a robot suit that was worn by an actor and everything. Tell me a little bit about that original robot suit, whatever you know about it. Yeah, and hey, this is one of my favorite subjects, too. Um, so, you know, most of my knowledge about the robot came after I discovered the club. Some interesting things that I found out that I didn't realize, and I've talked to a lot of people that, that said, hey, oh, that's that wasn't a real robot? Um, <laughs> you know, so the illusion was very good. I don't remember the time where I thought he was a real robot and knew there was a, a guy in a suit. And I, I wanted a robot suit to, just like that. I Actually, I wanted that robot suit. Mm. In fact, in the 80s, I had these thoughts about, I, I bet that thing's in a crate somewhere in storage. And mm -hmm. hey, I wasn't far off, actually. How could I figure out, you know, who to contact out in, you know, California <laughs> to find that? But anyway, that's kind of what Kevin Burns did. Yes. So, uh, so he had similar thoughts. He just got in a better position to actually do it. Yeah, he was there. Uh, he was there. But the uh, one of the, the interesting things I found out about the robot, I, I'd always pictured in my head that there was like a little gas pedal in the bottom. That And the actor's name was Bob May. Right. And Bob never got any credit uh, during the show. But I think that uh, later on in the 80s and 90s, uh, I think in, in Kevin Burns uh, uh, tried to really give him some more notoriety for what what he did because his performance in that suit was was nothing short of genius mm, i agree um but i had always pictured there was a little gas pedal in there so like when he wanted to go he just pushed this little gas pedal and that's kind of what it looks like uh but what i found out uh after joining the club and reading about the robot is the robot wasn't actually powered at all they had a track that they would hide that went beneath the sand in a cable that hooked to the underside of the tread section and they had guys off screen they actually pulled the robot. So when you see the robot traveling around, you know, on the set, and, and that was, uh, gosh, that was done so well. Yeah. I mean, even as an adult and knowing that, and you watch the scene, it just looks perfect. Another way that Bob would, 
would he, he would actually walk around without the tread sections on. They had a special set of legs that they called the Bermuda shorts. Mm. And it was he actually would kind of wear the 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 Bermuda shorts had these you know big straps went over his shoulder and he actually carried the the entire weight of the robot on his shoulders and he would actually walk around. And as an adult, you can pretty much see this now and you can tell where he's actually walking. Right. And they'd always hide his feet behind rocks and things. But I've actually seen screen grabs where you can see a tennis shoe or something behind right. the edge of a rock. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. you know, as a kid, that was the total perfect illusion. I mean, it, it, it worked great. Well, it was very convincing, and he really sold it, and you're right. He, it's a shame he didn't get credit during the show because he sold that completely. It, it was totally due to the way he interpreted that. And, of course, yeah. the designer, the design of the robot, to me, I mean, it's my favorite robot, obviously, as I'm sure it is yours, and I love a lot of different robots, but the designer was kind of a famous guy previous to Lost in Space because he had designed a, another robot. Yeah, absolutely. So the, so the, the, the person that designed uh, the B-9 robot, Robert Kinoshita, also designed uh, Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet. And one of the uh, B-9 builders, one of our, our pet peeves is... Uh, so many people come up to the B9 robot and they they say, "Oh, there's Robbie the robot." <laughs> and I know. Like, no, no, Robbie's that other robot. But they were designed by the same guy, so they're you know they're they're cousins or brothers or something like that. But the the, the robot to me, and, and, and after learning so much more about it and about how the design, I think was the the, the brilliance and and the the perfect storm of three things coming together that actually made the robot so iconic and the thing that touched me so deeply, you know, as a, as a kid, but in it, you know, first was Robert Kinoshita's uh, brilliant design. And when you really delve into the details of this robot, like you do when you, you build one, and I've done lots of, <laughs> I, I don't want to tell you how many hours of research I've done on nitty gritty parts, but when you look at some of the details, it's so brilliant and so detailed, it's like, wow, I can't believe they even put that in there. But it, it just adds this little thing, you know, this, this, mm. this, this look. So the, the design was so brilliant. And then there was Bob May, which I already mentioned. Working that suit like he did is not an easy thing. And I, I, I kind of have some firsthand experience with this. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I built my robot as a costume to be all, almost exactly like, the original, well, as, as exact as I as I could. Even the way my my robot goes together is the way the original one did. Uh, I've had many different people actually go in 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 the robot, and I can and through that, I can see the difficulty that it is to actually work that suit. Mm. And when you see Bob whipping around doing a 180 and these things that he did, that was remarkable, and. If you've got the Blu-rays, I mean, a lot of your listeners surely do, and, and if you listen to some of the commentary, you'll hear some of the cast members and Bill Mummy uh, uh, talking about, "Wow, there's uh, there's Bob working that suit." And there's mm-hmm. Bob, you know, yeah, uh, and I think they understand how what a genius performance it was to to really bring that suit to life like he did, just masterful. And then the third thing, the the, the third uh, part of this is. Dick Tufeld's voice, uh, you know, uh, the robots, uh, you know, Bob said the lines, uh, on the show. And here's another little thing I learned, uh, 
you know, when I first got in there is to make that neon flash, Bob had a little switch on his left claw, and he'd actually switch that neon on and off as he talked to, to each syllable. Mm. It, now that you know, and, I, and if you've never noticed this before, I've probably just ruined it for everybody, but if you can sometimes see his left claw twitching as he's talking. Yeah. And, and even Bob has mentioned that when I've been able to see him at, at some shows. He used to, would, would talk about that. But he would say the lines as they were filming, and he would flick the neon uh, on and off. But then in post-production, Dick Tufeld would do the voiceover and, and mimic what Bob had done. You know, Dick Tufeld's voice was so distinctive. It was. And gave that robot that just, there's something about his voice that, you know, is just integral to the, the whole thing. And so it's those three things that came together, that, you know, in perfection to, to make the robot come to life. And I think why it is so iconic. I agree with you. I think all three of those things were a perfect storm, as you put it. Dick Tufeld's uh, voice is just so, it's so recognizable. You hear that voice and, you know, even when he's not doing the robot voice sometimes now, I've heard him. You know, he's the narrator for the for, for the shows as well. You can almost kind of forget it, but I hear that voice and I know right away, hey, that's Dick Tufeld. And it's just so perfect for the robot and the moves that uh, Bob May would make. I don't, I still don't know how he could do that. He'd do those turns of the torso completely around. That's got to be, uh, talk about a contortionist move and everything. And that design, as you oh, said, yeah. is just great. So it's a suit. We get that, and it's a. You said it's bigger. When you see one in in person, it's a lot bigger. I imagine it's. I don't know what materials it's all made of, uh, but it's got to be heavy too, right? Oh, it can. Yeah, it can be. It can be pretty heavy. There's lots of different materials in it. Uh, the tread sections on the bottom. That's what we call them. The the, the tread box. Uh, you know, those the original ones made out of steel, so they're mm. probably pretty heavy. Now, some people have made those out of aluminum, so they're a little bit lighter. And then you've got the, the rubber legs, and uh, and those can be actually kind of heavy because there's a lot of rubber there. Yeah. You know, so that adds some weight. The torso is generally made out of fiberglass. The is original that... one was fiberglass. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and in the B9 Club, we, uh, we have fiberglass torsos available. And so that's what most people use uh, some people have scratch built them you know out of wood you can do that it's kind of a challenging project uh, mm. but then you have a lot of uh, acrylic too the collar section the collar sections that uh, the plastic part right on top of the torso it's quarter inch square acrylic rods that are uh, uh, heat formed in an oven put in a jig and then and then 96 of them put around that collar and that's actually where bob may would look out of he'd okay. look out of that collar and they had a, a thin black film around that co uh, around the collar and they'd also blacken his face and, and i don't think there's any scene ever where you can see or even get a glimpse of him in it so they they did a masterful job at that and then you have the bubble which is acrylic and the bubble is probably the single most challenging part on the whole robot and it's probably not a surprise mm. Because that is a real art to blow that bubble, you know, heat acrylic and blow it into that shape. 
Well, and uh, inside the bubble, there's all the, the, and I don't know exactly what to call that. The bubble is, you know, that's his head essentially, because you call the right. the collar where Bob May's looking out is sort of the at the neck level. There's a lot of detail in there, and sometimes I would just oh, freeze yeah. freeze frame the Blu-ray and try to take a close look at what all is going in there because there's, there's sort of a, a, a dark gray section, and a, a, by the way, the the bubble's all supported on sort of a sort of a flexible rubber tube, right? And then there's yeah, we call inside. that the neck boot. The, the neck the, boot, the neck okay. boot or bubble lifter boot, um, and yeah, and what's inside the bubble we call the brain, and it's sort of a tr- sort of a triangular shape, and it has all these little intricate hieroglyphics cut into the side, and they had lights on the inside that flash, and you could see them through the hieroglyphics, and mm. and then there's lights on top of the brain, and then they were supposed to reflect off these fins that that spin around, but yeah, and that's kind of that's another interesting part of the history of the robot. There's a couple parts that. That spinner on the top, the crown, was supposed to move. And then he also has, above the collar, there's these two little radar sensors. Uh, I've seen those, yeah. One, one, one's like a, they're almost like teardrop-shaped or something, aren't they? Yeah. Leaf-shaped. Yeah. And so if you watch the first uh, you know, two or three episodes, those actually are spinning. And so is that crown on the top of the brain. You'll see them spinning at like different rates, and it's kind of interesting. And then after about the, I'm going to say about the third episode. Don't quote me on that because it, it might be the fourth, it might be the second. <laughs> but somewhere in the early episode, it just stopped, and you never saw them spin again until the first episode of the second season, Blast Off into Space. And then for a couple scenes, you see the spinners spinning again in the crown. And just for a couple scenes, and then that's it. And then they never spin again. But most robot builders like to build that effect into their uh, replicas. And we've got some methods of doing that to make it, you know, not too not too difficult. Do you know why the that effect was discontinued uh, for the show? I mean, I don't know even how those operated. If those were mo- little servo motors that were running those, or or if that Bob, that was something Bob May had to also do, operate himself mechanically. Yeah, I don't think you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he was like spinning anything by hand, but uh, they probably had some kind of a gear mechanism for those radar sensors. And w- what I've heard is that the the motors on those things were so loud it was interfering with their uh, with the audio. Ah, okay. It could be also that they were having trouble with them, mm-hmm. getting them to work properly. I I can't give you a definitive answer. It's one of those two things or a combination of both. I see. And so they stopped it, and I think they gave it another a try at the beginning of the, the second season. You know, and, and most people that watch the show can you can tell at the beginning of the second season the robot kind of got revamped. You know, they they had revamped him for color. Uh, he got a new set of legs, uh, oh, the yeah. original well, legs. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that. Does he, so the robot actually changed during the course of the of the series? Why don't you talk about that? How was the first season different from the the later's? Well, first season of course was in black and white, so they didn't incorporate a whole lot of color or, or almost any color into the, the robot at all in in the legs and this is pretty obvious when you you watch it the legs in the first season are kind of a mess in some ways mm. um, and they're they're kind of droopy and they had to add a wire around the crotch to kind of hold them up but it, it didn't seem to detract too much from the overall look of the robot because I love that first season look and some people actually like the way that that looked in the first season but I think they had some trouble with the legs and the uh, casting those legs in the first season and what I've heard is they just they didn't have the time or uh, didn't want to spend the money to redo the legs 
But when it came to the second season, they kind of did a whole revamp of the robot. They changed some some of the details to look good in color. You know, like the, the claws are what, probably the biggest one. They uh, changed the claws from a silver color to red. Okay. Uh, the, oh, cool. the chest area, which was uh, that rectangular chest area where you have the flashing lights and the chest buttons, uh, that was silver. They changed that to a like a dark gray. And uh, one de- detail that's kind of subtle that, that uh, I had discovered early on in my days with the club was the, the radar section where those that's the thing on top of the collar actually has sort of an intricate two-tone uh, paint job where it's a lighter color gray uh, there's like a silver and then a, then a, a darker cover uh, color silver gray color so there's some interesting changes that they make but they they also recast the legs and they did a much much better job uh, on the second season so that uh, that was a major change for for season two and then it you know they attempted to uh, have the radar spinners work but he was pretty much the same throughout the second season then in the third season I think they did a little revamping but not, nothing like in the second season uh, but the big thing they did in the third season was they built a second robot oh. and this, this one's had some different names uh, some sort of called the background robot the dummy robot or the stunt robot kind of in the club the 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 term that we've used for this one is the uh, the stunt robot and this was i think create this was created so they could do things that they couldn't do with the real suit so one of the early episodes in the third season the robot goes floating out in space so they needed a robot they could hang from wires Ah. and so they created it's a very lightweight suit nobody's in it uh, they tried to use lightweight materials. The uh, the treads were actually made out of foam. And then you, you see it periodically throughout the third season. You know, this the scene where uh, you know Doctor Smith gets real strong and he grabs the robot by the neck and lifts <laughs> it up and moves him. You know, that's the stunt robot. I think there's some another scene in the show where the robot actually falls over. And then the antimatter man, they actually painted the stunt robot up, gave him a green color chest area, the neon mouth. Uh, made that green and colored them with the the black and white checker pattern. So that's actually the stunt robot you see there. Wow. So that's the stunt. And and there's been some theories that there was another robot. I I don't think that's true. I think there may have been maybe more than one torso for the stunt robot. But again, that's, I got no, nothing to confirm that. Well, it's interesting, all those things, like the, the scene where the robot gets uh, is floating out in space, that's one of that's one of my favorite scenes of the robot, actually. So that's interesting that they had to use a, a lighter weight version to film that. I had no idea about that. The other thing I noticed, we're, we're currently still just reviewing the early episodes of the first season, but I think I've seen the robot in pieces now at least two or three times, and I think that happens quite a bit. So when they were doing that, I guess they were just taking the copy costume and sort of uh, dressing it up to make it look like there was a lot of mechanical electronic parts inside of it is my guess. Is that is that yours? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and that, and as robot builders, those scenes are invaluable to us because you get some glimpses when you look at them closely and you look at the screen grabs of those scenes where the robot's taken apart of, you know, how the actually the pieces went together. The whole lower half of the robot from, say, the waist down was one piece. Mm. You know, the legs and tread sections. And Bob May would, you know, climb into that. And then the torso uh, from the waist uh, to right below the collar, the the whole torso then would be put over Bob. And uh, then the the head section, as we'd call it, would be the, the collar, radar, and the whole bubble section. 
and then that would go on his that would go on his head. Well, it's interesting. You sent me a link to several YouTube video clips, uh, several short ones that show your robot, I believe, and with uh, yeah. Marta Kristen and everything. And I'm going to link to all those in the show notes for so the folks out there can take a look at those. But then there was another one that you you linked to. It was a little bit longer. I think it was about eight or nine minutes. And that one, oh my gosh, that was such a great video. Now the video quality is not that great, but it's it's totally worth sitting there and watching it if you love lost in space because you actually i don't i'm not sure who the gentleman was that that is getting into the costume and is that your robe yeah that's, that's your yeah that's my my robot so that was the, the video is actually um nick Mulpagano, who's the club member he's also a, a an entertainer and does uh impressions like uh he's an elvis impersonator and he, ah. he has his own nightclub act so he's kind of a uh, he's quite a card himself and quite quite a personality well, yeah. And so and I was, there was the, no, I was going to say that the thing that's great about that is you get to see him get into the costume, so you kind of see what it, what what it takes to, for someone to get into this costume. And Bob May is yeah. there, and right, and it is so he's hilarious. Oh, he he was great at shows, and and he loved the robot builders, you know, because he is he was very proud of his performance as a robot as he should be because as we talked about before it was genius mm. and he loved the robot because uh, the robot builders because we love the robot mm. and you know he was the guy particularly me I, because i built a costume you know i really valued the, the the several times i got to meet bob and and, and to have him be able to see my robot costume you know that had to be Pinch great. Me. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and then, yeah, that turned into be a, a great event and quite a class. That was from a 2003 show in Cleveland that we called the Lost in Space Festival. I, I had to talk Nick to get into my robot. He's actually a, a tad too tall for it. You know, Bob May was about five foot seven, so that's the about the right height to get into that robot suit. Mm. Uh, Nick was, I think, 5'10", I'm guessing, but... Uh, but but he got in it. And I I just knew that if we got him in there, you know, things it would be neat. And man, oh, it was way it better great. than I ever <laughs> envisioned. And it and it's and it's so much more special now because Bob is gone. Mm. You know, we can't do that again. And uh, you know, Nick put that up as a tribute to Bob May. Yeah, yeah. That that video is near and dear to my heart as oh, it is to Nick uh, as, as well. And so that that is a, a neat thing to watch. It's awesome. Well, it's funny too. Very funny. Yeah. It is funny. It's gold. I loved it. And um, everybody should go out and watch that video because it's, it's super cool. So, wow. Well, I've learned a lot about the robot talking with you. So I appreciate you going into all those details. One other question. One of yeah. the things we noticed in one of the early episodes, and I think that this happens periodically, is there's a scene uh, where Dr. Smith and the robot are actually playing chess. And I pointed this out to my co-host, Kurt. I said, if you take a close look, the robot is picking up and moving those chess pieces. Is There's a little bit of a difference. It's almost like he's got some attachments on the end of his claw. Yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of things about him. And, and had, having the, uh, the the opportunity to, to be able to be at a couple of these shows with Bob and, and hear some of his stories, he would talk about you talk about that. So they, they had these little like attachments, and I believe there was probably a little screw in there that held those onto the claw so you could actually hold the, the chest piece. But the way he'd actually see what he was doing was uh, on the bottom of the torso, there's a, a little door that opens. 
It's actually a vent. Mm. That we call it a vent, and there's four of them around the bottom. But the one in the front slides open. In the original suit, there's a you know there's a panel there with some switches and things, but there's no top on that panel. And Bob could look down through that hole in that vent to see what he was doing. Yeah. And he pointed that out. That's one of the differences in my suit. And I think Bob pointed that out. Uh, is that uh, when I did that programming area, I made it all enclosed. And uh, part of that was on purpose. Now, uh, is, is this I, the little area where we, in one of the scenes early on, we saw like a ticker tape readout come out? Is that that yes. area? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. That's it. We, we call that the, the programming bay the programming or the programming bay. panel. So there was actually a little a little gap there that Bob would look down through so he could see what he was grabbing with his claw. Right, right. Oh, yep. And that that was uh that was, that was kind of neat and and, and important cuz you can when you're inside that robot and you're looking through that collar, you can see straight ahead, but you can't see down very well. So it would have been almost impossible for to do those chess scenes if he mm. couldn't have looked through that little hole in the programming mm. area. I hope you're enjoying this great interview with Lost in Space robot expert and head of the B9 Robot Builders Club, Mr. Craig Reinbrecht. The passion he has for the robot really shines through when you listen to him speak. He's got more to share about the club, the robot, and much more. So sit tight for part two of our interview with Lost in Space robot builder, Mr. Craig Reinbrecht. Craig, I really appreciate you doing that uh, deep dive into the robot. Let's let's switch gears here and let's talk about the club. You are the head of the B9 Robot Builders Club. Tell us about the club, the mission, history, anything you'd care to share with our listeners about the the demographics and how you became the leader and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and again, my pleasure. This is my favorite subject and the subject I could I could talk for hours about. So. Um, yeah, so I did already touched on the fact that uh, the the club was created in the, I'm going to say the mid to late 90s by uh, a guy named Dewey Howard, who's from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got involved in late 99. When I discovered the club, like I said, it was a transforming moment. And one of the things that uh, was coming up is Dewey, the, the leader of the club, he made arrangements with a, a show in Cleveland called Freight Vision, it was sort of a, a horror sci-fi genre convention, but he got the folks to run that show to provide a room uh, for robot builders to bring and display their robots. Oh. And that was kind of the, one of the first shows that the club was involved with. And only just a few months after I discovered the club, they had a big show coming up. And it was in Cleveland. Again, it was very close for me uh, to mm-hmm. go to. And I was, I can't tell you how excited I was to be there. And Bob May was going to be there. Oh, Bob gosh. May was going to be the special guest. So, you know, like just a few months after I discovered this whole thing, this show's coming up. There's going to be like eight to ten full-size robots there and Bob May. Wow. Uh, so I... I went to this. Uh, I went to the show, and I'd, I'd already started working on a, a couple parts to, to the robot. The first thing I I made was the little radar sensors, mm-hmm. and I I had this idea that Bob May was going to be there. To, I, I'd like to present these to Bob as a gift, the little radar sensors, just oh. as a you know, a, just a, a, a thank you to Bob. And and sure. and I said, buddy, I made these. I could make another set. Uh, I told this to Dewey. And he goes, oh, great. We'll, we'll, we'll do a whole thing where we'll film it. And I'm like, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 
he did, and it was it was so touched. It was it touched Bob so much when I gave him these little radar sensors. It was really touching. He he, he almost teared up, and he gives me a hug, and it's like wow. Awesome. So that, this is how my you know I started out in this this club. But at that first show, there was and there was so much excitement around the club at the time. Over a hundred robot builders from around the country came into Cleveland for this show. Wow, a hundred. So I made a lot of my, you know, connections of, of people that I've met uh, and have become very close friends at that that show. I, I met uh, Mike Joyce there. Uh, I met him, and then a lot of the other the vendors. I got to meet Dewey and and, and many of the other folks. And uh, there's some people that are still very involved in the the club. Uh, Bill Konzerski and, and and Norman Sockwell. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to leave out some names, and I I apologize, but uh, those are those are people who are still involved and have become very close friends over the years. That was 2000, so it was Fright Vision 2000. They were already talking about Fright Vision 2001. This was so cool, this this whole thing, and we got to meet Bob, and there was a special dinner for Bob at this this show, and the, the excitement around it was just you were hooked. I was oh I was so hooked <laughs> and. But I wanted to have a robot there for the next show. I said, no matter what I do, I'm going to have a robot there for, for that next show. And the only part I'd made to that point was the radar sensors, and then I gave them away to Bob. To Bob. <laughs> so I kind of had to start from scratch. And then, well, well, let me other, ask you there. Let me just ask yeah. you that question. You you said you made these parts. Do you have a background in? <laughs> I don't know if you took shop or do you have a machine shop of your own or what the what's involved. But is this something that you were prepared to do to build the robot? Yeah. Well, you know that that's a very good question because a lot of other people that 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 are thinking, hey, can I do this or not? You know. People come into this with different skills, but my my skill set really when I came in there, I I was a pretty accomplished woodworker. That was my thing. I've oh, I've always okay. been. I I took wood shop all through through uh, through high school. I built a grandfather clock from scratch, and I've just done all kinds of home improvement stuff. I've just a lot of woodwork. So that was my real skill. But also one of the other skills I had from my early days, yeah, and I mentioned I was more into cars and and girls at some point and I, you know, so I did a lot of uh, auto body work and got very accomplished at that. You know, that's something I hadn't done for a long time. And also I have a background in electronics. I was a field service engineer in my, in my job. Uh, so I, I probably have a little more electronics background than, than the average person. So bringing that all in to this, uh, believe it or not, that woodworking skills was really helpful in building the robot. Because in building the robot involves building a lot of jigs, and a lot of the jigs can be made out of wood. Mm. And one thing I learned, uh, and that's the beauty of the club, you, you learn a lot of these things from other people. You know, I didn't even know what acrylic was. I'd heard it. I knew it was like a kind of plastic. But, but there's a lot of acrylic parts. And what I found out is you can machine uh, acrylic with woodworking tools, and it, and it machines beautifully. Oh. So a lot of the... The acrylic parts, you know, woodworking skills came into that quite a bit. So you felt like you had the skill sets to to at least, I mean, you weren't intimidated by it from that point of view. And then now you've got support because you've met these guys in the club. So it seemed doable. (laughs) Yeah. And even even though, you know, I did have the skills, anybody that does a B&I, builds a B&I robot is going to learn some new skills. And that's the beauty of it. And you have a whole support system out there to, to help you do that. And, you know, I, there was some trial and error <laughs> uh, 
along the way. I found out there, hey, there's two different kinds of acrylic. Mm. Uh, there's a kind that people call plexiglass that you can buy at Home Depot and Lowe's, but you can't cut that to save your life. Right. But there's a different kind of acrylic that you can get at a plastic store that that's the kind of acrylic you got to use. And things like that, that you learn from the club. You know, so I'd never heard of a, acrylic to, you know, becoming kind of a master at uh, working with it. So I should mention you guys have a, a terrific website, which, of course, I'm going to link to in our show notes as well. And I'm going to encourage everybody, whether they're, they think they want to build a robot or not, you should go to and, and visit the B9 Robot Builders Club website because it's so chock full of stuff. You'll learn uh, so much about the robot. Oh, it's just, it's just great. But it has all these unbelievable resources for club members that are unbelievable. I don't even know where you got some of this stuff. I mean, talk about that a little bit. Well, um, we have club vendors. You know, guys like me that, you know, have developed something in their garage or there's there's people that, that have different skill sets that come into this. They're, they may be an expert at, at something. So we've had guys that were, you know, engineers and they were uh, accomplished with CAD and drawing things up in, in, in CAD. And then if you, you do... You, That's a you know, computer-aided design, right, CAD? Computer-aided design, right. And you can... And then they were familiar with things like laser cutting, so you can draw up a CAD file on something, and then you can go send it and have it laser cut. You know, so it's perfect. Now this is a very expensive process. If one guy was going to do this uh, himself, mm. so if, say I wanted to make a, a set of tread sections, you know, and I designed all the parts, and you know, and I, I wanted to send it to a laser cutter shop to cut these parts out, uh, they charge you thousands and thousands of dollars. But if you get 10 people together that want them, then the price comes down way down. Mm. Because one thing they have, is, is, you know, shops doing this kind of work is they have a setup cost. The setup cost is, you know, to do the first one. You do more than that, the price comes down significantly the more, the more you do. So that's another beauty of the club is, is pooling people together. Uh, so, so you have vendors that will, you know, uh, have professionally manufactured parts but if you do it in some quantity, now the price is affordable. Right. And so we have, you know, a lot of different vendors that sell stuff. Uh, you know, some of them are making things from scratch in their garage. I do some of that. You know, so they're making everything completely. Uh, and then some that are having things manufactured. And then some it's kind of a mixture of both. And then there's also some off-the-shelf parts that you can buy for sure. the robot. There's not a lot. You know, almost the entire robot was custom made. There was a few, a few off-the-shelf parts. You know, we have links and resources for that. And most people don't build a costume like I did. Okay, that's actually that's, kind of kind of yeah, rare. I was going to because ask it you. is a little impractical. <laughs> right. Uh, because if somebody's not inside it, and like you're saying in a video, it is actually a big deal to get somebody in there. It takes you know, it takes several people to actually do that to get them in and get the torso on top of them and hook it all uh, up. And it's a little <laughs> impractical. So most people, uh, well, I would say most, there, there is no most. There's a lot of different ways to build a B9 replica. You know, one way is just a, a you know, just a statue with blinking lights. And that's right. cool. I mean, he looks cool that way. Right. Right. You know, just that is, hey, you've got a B9 robot, you know, in your house or in your living room, your office or whatever. And then uh, some people take it a little, you know, a, a step farther. We make those radar spinners spin and the, the, the top crown, they make that spin. 
Uh, and then you have some that, uh, that make fully animatronic robots, and there's a few out there. They're actually, the tread sections are motorized, the arms, uh, you know, we, we've got a guy, uh, Dave Schulpius, who's, who's developed this, uh, this animatronic arm that's absolutely genius. And and, uh, and and we've got some others. A, a longtime club member, Greg Logue, has a fully animatronic uh, uh, B9 robot, which is just amazing. You know, the, the, he he can bend over, he turns at the waist, the arms come out, the bubble goes up and down and turns, and really neat stuff. And, and so there's you know anything in between. It, everybody builds these builds it a little bit different. They all have you know people have they build it to their skill set or to what they what they want. And then there's a few oddballs like me that build as a costume. (laughs) Well, it's Um, cool because, I mean, everybody's got their own specific wish of, you know, I want a B9 robot, but it's it's personal, right? And uh, so it's cool that you've got, uh, uh, I believe you told me you've got like 600 members in the club. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Yeah, there's, there's currently about 600 members on our, uh, on our, on our forum. Um, But over the years, there's actually more than that. Yeah, but but some people come in, they build their robot, and they, you know, when they're done, they they might you know drop out and move on to other things. So there's over the years, and, and the B9 Builders Club is probably over 20 years old now, from wow. when Dewey created it back in the uh, mid to late late 90s, and we started giving out uh, member numbers back I think in 2003, and the member numbers are in the 700s now. But there was there was members even before that, you know. So I would say all in all, who's the number of people that have probably been involved in is probably in the closer to a probably close to a thousand. Now, that so, doesn't mean there's a thousand robots out there. Well, I was going to ask you, what people do you are, what what would you say if you had a spitball to figure how many robots are there out there? You know, I'm, I'm asked this a lot, and it's uh, this is a really really hard <laughs> question to answer. I would say there's probably at least a couple hundred, and maybe more as uh, uh kevin mentioned you know the licensed replicas that mike joyce uh, built i think he was in the uh, 60s so there's 60 right there sure and then you all the club members that have built robots um you know there's probably a couple hundred out there wow i would That's... say at least and you know i i've taken mine to quite a few uh conventions and shows over the years so you know a lot of guys really don't want to travel with them you know they're too precious mm. <laughs> You know, they, it's like, I, I wouldn't want to take the risk, you know? So there's a lot more out there than we've seen. And, uh, but the best I can give you is probably two to 300 maybe. Well, that's amazing because, uh, considering the effort and the time and the resources and everything it takes to do one of these replicas, that's, that's an incredible number. So one of the things I know about anybody that's involved in a hobby, especially a, a, a technical hobby like this, uh, you guys are very particular about the specifications, and you even have a whole section on the website with blueprints. I don't know where you get, you know, some of these I think are club club members have made these. I don't know, some of them may be specs yeah. from the original mm-hmm. show, but you're very particular about the details. Am I correct? Yeah, and that's kind of one of my things. <laughs> when I got in it, I was I really dove into the nitty-gritty details when I got into the club. Uh, you know, information on specifications and so forth was very hard to come by, you know, accurate information. And in, in the early days of the club, they the actual original Fox blueprints were not readily available. 
Mm. Um, and, and those have kind of surfaced in the last few years. But here's the problem with those, too, is that when they're building a one-off prop like this, they, they often vary from the, from the blueprints, which they did with the robot. Um, you know, there's some things that they were, they kept strictly to the way it was drawn in the blueprints. And then there's other things where they, they varied some things here and there. So you have to take that with a grain of salt, but those weren't even available back in the early days. So in, in the origins of this are kind of, I can't even tell you because this is the kind of thing that a lot of people don't talk about and it's hush hush. So it's very shrouded in mystery, (laughs) shrouded in mystery. Yeah. It's, you know, torsos were available that were supposedly cast off the original. You know, how they became to be and what the origins were. That's the kind of stuff. It's hush hush. So it's very, very difficult to <laughs> yeah, get the you know, whole know exactly <laughs> what, what the origins were. But, you know, so a lot of this is since you have this torso, you, you could kind of gauge, um, um, you know, sizes off of that. So you could scale photos and things like that. And, and a very enterprising um, member of the club early in the early days named Dave Painter, he created a whole set of blueprints which were invaluable to a robot builder. And he used the, he used the best information he had at the time, and this was you know late 90s. And that was if if you got in the club, that was the first thing you bought, Dave Painter's blueprints, because there you had all the specifications. But Years after that, uh, in really delving into some of the details, we found out that you know some of these things were a little off or they weren't. We've got more and better information now than mm-hmm. we did then. In fact, we, we are now we're kind of splitting hairs on things. But yeah, well, I didn't I didn't study them in, in great detail, but I can just tell by looking. I mean, you're down to like the the centimeter or millimeter level uh, in terms of dimensions and everything else. So it's it's incredible the amount of detailed specs that you've made available to people that want to do this. That I mean, what a service alone you've done in that. Yeah, and that, that's been one of my things, and I I I, I feel the sense of responsibility, and, and a lot of people aren't that concerned about that um, because they. You know, they're just happy to have a robot that looks like the robot, and they don't care about a sixteenth of an inch here, a sixteenth of an inch there. But I, I feel this obligation that if I'm building a part, or if I'm putting a blueprint out there, you know, making a blueprint and putting it out there, I feel an obligation to make that accurate. So my my goal is to have everybody's robot be as absolutely accurate as possible. So I I spent a tremendous amount of time and effort in researching these details so that we get it right. And I got to say, we're at this point very, very close. But surprisingly, we still, even though we're at the point where we're like splitting hairs and don't think, well, there's not that much that we don't know now. Mm. You know, I mentioned the collar where Bob May looked looked out of, uh, and it's made out of these pieces of acrylic, all, you know, kind of glued into the circle. And when I got in the club, and on the blueprints and everything that you could get, it showed 108 uh, collar ribs. And that was the de facto standard. And then okay. I was told by all the early people in the club, oh, yeah, there was 108. We know that absolutely. There was 108. That was a given. Uh, nobody challenged it. And people made collars. And when you looked at the collar, I never challenged it because, to me, you looked at the collar. It looked right. Ac- yeah, it looked accurate. looked accurate. Well, back at, uh, there was a convention back in, uh, it was a big Lost in Space 50th anniversary convention at Chiller in New Jersey in October of 2015. And I met somebody there I didn't met before, a guy named Chris Pappas, 
a lot of people in the Lost in Space world will know of Chris. And he's mm-hmm. very instrumental with the uh, John Antonellis who makes the who made the chariot, and, and Chris was one of his uh, chief consultants. But I hadn't met Chris before, and Chris is, you talk about a details guy. He he researches things to the nth degree. I mean, he is, he is the, yeah. yeah, he's the top guy when it comes to the, the details and wanting to get the details right. But uh, I, I met him at Chiller, and my robot was there. And I met him, like, right in front of my robot. And we got to talking, and it was... Uh, and he asked me this strange question. He said, how many how many ribs are there in the collar? I said, well, there's 108. It's like, well, why do you think that? <laughs> and then I had to think. It's like, you know, from a scientific <laughs> perspective, it's like, well, that's what I was told. <laughs> that was my best answer. That's like, you know, everybody knows that. There's 108. He goes, what if I was to tell you uh, there was 96 ribs in the collar? I'm like, we'll prove it. And then he goes, we'll prove there's 108. <laughs> and that's not kind of how that started, but it, he went to the degree. Then it started that piqued my interest. I started digging into some old photos. Uh, I had a photo. There's a photo by a guy named Brian Mix who who discovered the stunt robot in Greg Jean's storage garage back in the late '70s, and he had a picture of it from the. He had the bubble off, and it was a picture from the top down. And I actually did a. You know, went into Photoshop and tried to count the collar ribs, and I I came out to like 97 or something like that. So now I'm thinking, yeah, I think he's on to something. Mm. But Chris Pappas, and this is an example of how we delve into these details. Now that the Blu-rays were out, you know, the Blu-rays are so crystal clear and so much better than what we had before. He found several scenes where the robot does a 360, and he found one where the robot does a 360 slow enough where he could actually put a marker on each rib as it went around and count the ribs on the actual hero robot from a show. And he came up with 96. So this was only a few years ago. We thought it was 108. It's actually 96. That seems like it is a huge difference. But when you put those ribs together on the collar, it is a very subtle difference. But there, that's an example. Hey, that was a discovery that was pretty recent. So there's probably other new things out there that we have yet discovered. But uh, I think at this point, what's out there is very, very accurate now. That is incredible. You talk about detail, like you say. That is unbelievable. Well, oh, I could you, tell you stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't you tell me that, um, and I think I saw pictures of this on the website, that you and a couple other of your colleagues from the club actually made a trip out to L.A. At, at some point and got to see pieces or whatever of the original robot that are left. I think that, uh, tell us yeah, about that. So, yeah, let me tell you about that. And that, and that kind of whole plays into the history of the club and of how I got to uh, into the, the role I'm in right now. So I mentioned Dewey um, was the, the leader of the club. And uh, in, in the early 2000s, there, well, there was a couple companies that tried to make and sell full-size replica robots, and both of them failed spectacularly. And one of the clubs, in, in excuse me, one of the companies in the early 2000s that was trying to do this, they looked at the B9 Builders Club as a threat to their business. And they actually did everything they could to try to shut it down. And it was, and this was very, very hard on Dewey. I feel bad for him. I, I, I and, and being kind of in the position I am now, I, I really kind of understand the pressures that he was under. And I think at some point it just, he just kind of had enough, and he had to step away. Yeah. So, so in comes Mike Joyce, who was a, who had become a very good friend at that point. We really connected 
and uh, become a very good friend. But Mike, you know, the club was in a little bit of a disarray. You know, Dewey had stepped away. We had this company that was trying to shut down the club. And, you know, it was, you know, the dark days of the club. Mm. Well, Mike found out how to contact Kevin Burns and got a hold of Kevin and proposed uh, licensing the club. And so that's what he actually did. So Mike actually got a license for the club, and that kind of that's sort of what started the the, the modern or you know the the current incarnation of the B9 Robot Builders Club. So now we have an official relationship with with uh, Kevin. At that time, it was Space Productions, and so you're legit. You, you know, you're legit. You're not uh, freewheeling out there. You've you've got the endorsement. Yeah. Of the, Nobody's uh, trying to shut us down. That's now we're. Yeah, and that was a that was a beautiful thing. Yeah, and that was a that, you know, if Mike hadn't have done that, we may not even have the B nine robot builders now. Mm-hmm. I don't even know, you know, who knows what would have happened. So Mike led the club for you know a, a, a couple years, and it was going great. And and Mike was so so into it, he started thinking about you know I I think I could build a full size robot and sell it and make a and make a decent profit. So he uh, decided to, to pursue that. So he, he already had this relationship with Kevin. So, you know, he contacted Kevin and, and, you know, proposed this idea. And I think they were in agreement and they came up with a contract. And uh, so uh, I guess when the, the licensing contract was all complete, uh, uh, Mike's plan was to take a trip out to L.A., mm-hmm. you know, meet Kevin in person and sign the and sign the the agreement. And the other part of this was, uh, you know, Kevin was going to give him some access to a lot of original uh, materials. Kevin has all the original molds and and excess parts to the robot that came with the robot when he initially got it. So he has all that stuff. Uh, The the original stone molds that made the torso, the stone molds that made the legs and arms, Wow. Yeah, he has all that stuff, really cool stuff. And as a B9 builder, and I remember I mentioned information was very hard to get, accurate information. We were scrambling and trying and, you know, and, and uh, you know, scaling pictures. And, and here's this offer to come, you know, come to L.A. And, and, and have some access to that. So Mike had planned this trip, and he, you know, I told you we were good friends. So he contacted me and said, hey. I'm taking this trip to L.A., you know, to sign this agreement, and it'd be a lot more fun if I had a friend come along. Would you like to come? Sign well, me up. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This is, you know. Opportunity you know, of a lifetime, a, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like no way I was going to pass that up. And then we had another friend of ours named Frederick Hodges, and, and Frederick is a huge Lost in Space fan. He's a very learned person. Uh, he's got a doctorate. He's uh very interesting guy, and, and he, he might be an interesting guy for you to talk to someday. But he he uh, he joined us on this on this trip, and we did get to go to Kevin's storage locker and get access to all this these materials. And he actually let Mike take a lot of them back with him. And Mike is from South Dakota, and so we got a lot of uh, a lot of original materials, some original molds and things. And he let Mike borrow all that stuff. When you so went we, in there, you must have thought you were like opening up the vault that had the Ark of the Covenant in it or something like that. It must have been an unbelievable experience. Oh my gosh, they had a spare you know, neon 
you know, the mouth that, and I, I, I've mentioned Nian a couple times, and I don't think I explained that the, the mouth that lights up, and I didn't know this either uh, when I, until I was, got in the club, that was actually neon that, that flashes on and off. So they had an original neon there on the, on the backer plate, which is what it was attached to, you know, and I held that in my hands. Wow. They had the original, they had the original Bermuda shorts. Remember I told you how Bob, Bob would walk around. They yeah. had the original, that was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm t- actually touching this. This was, that was such an amazing trip. And to see all that stuff in person was just amazing. And then the, the trip was actually topped off when uh, the three of us, uh, Frederick and Mike and, and myself, got to go out to dinner with Dick Tufeld and Kevin. Oh, wow. That was, a, you know, and one of the things I had, should probably say, you know, one of the amazing things about this, this robot in that moment when I discovered the club is how it kind of transformed my life is, you know, building the robot and being part of this has opened up so many doors. And to meet so many interesting people, just interesting people in the club, but to be able to meet Bob and the, you know, and, and the other cast members and Dick Tufeld and, mm. you know, they're just, you know, you know pinch me moments. Awesome. Uh, just, just so much fun. And so Mike got all that, you know, that reference material and he designed his license replicas are going to be cherished for years because as far as robots go, he built a Porsche. I mean, they are beautifully engineered, beautiful robots. And, uh, you know, he ended up selling about 60, 60 something of them. But they're no but longer in, the, in business, right? I mean, he, 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 he did the 60 and then he, he called it quits. And so that's, that's no longer an option, right? Yeah. And his business was going really, really well. And, 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 and when the economy tanked back in 2008, you know, that really cut into his business because, you know, a luxury item like a robot was, you know, going to go down on people's priority list, uh, which it did. So his sales went down. But he, he kept selling for a, a, a few more years, but he got very interested in 3D printers, and he developed his own 3D printer technology, started up his own 3D printer company, and now that company is is huge and he's doing great. And the reason I'm telling you that part of the story is because when Mike does something, he is all in. And when he got involved in this 3d printer business, he had to spend 110% of his time on that to make a go of it. Right. And so he asked me if I would take over running the club. And I was a little hesitant at first. I wasn't, (laughs) I didn't jump on it, but when was this? um, Uh, What year was this? Oh, this was probably, yeah, this was probably around 2012, 2013, maybe, yeah, that's the 2012 time frame. You know, I, 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 the club meant so much to me. Uh, I was so involved. I I, I really wanted to see the club keep going like it was. Oh, yeah. Uh, So that's kind of the way I became the leader. And the rest is history, as they they might say. So that's kind of how I got my involvement. Just the things that you said, it's it's clearly been rewarding f- for you to be a part of the club, and you're giving back by taking on that leadership role. So I commend you for that. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned a couple times, the interview we did with Kevin Burns, he did make a, sort of an offhanded comment that there may be another commercial offering of 
robot replicas coming down the pike. I don't know if you can say anything about that or not or want to, but is that is that currently still a possibility? Oh, absolutely, and I'm I'm very certain it's going to happen. Uh, Good. There's a guy, another Ohio guy. Um, his name's Doug Hines. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but it's out there. Doug Hines. It's, it's actually not. Uh, you know, he's he's been public with that. Okay. Um, that, that that he's the guy, but he's he's an experienced in the prop making business, and uh, he was involved in the club in the in the earlier days. So he's you know the robots not not something new to him. So it's a it's a love of his, and and he's uh, very involved and. And some of the uh, the club vendors were very supportive of them. One thing that Mike proved was that you could have a full-size replica business, a, a vibrant and healthy replica, licensed replica business, and there can be a B9 Robot Builders Club, and they can coexist. Sure. They're different markets. Right. The people that are going to buy a full-size replica are different from the people that are going to build it, build one. In generally, there's going to be some overlap, but in general, uh, they're a different market. And Mike proved that he had a he had a, a, a vibrant, successful replica business, and we also had a successful club going. Doug understands that. We understand that. There's we we've we want to see this business be successful. So we've kind of been uh, helping with resources and latest. Uh, latest uh, drawings and and, and and specs and so forth to, to help Doug create the, the most accurate replica possible. So I'm excited about uh, seeing that. And I think he's going to be premiering that uh, soon, hopefully. I'd like to keep up with that. Is that uh, something that you guys will feature on your website, or how are we going to be able to hear when that actually is coming up? Do you know anything? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we plan to have a page uh, for his you know his his replicas right on the B9 Builders site, and, and you know so you can come to our site if you're somebody that wants to build one. You know the resources are there. If you're somebody that would be interested in buying a licensed replica, we'll have that for you too. That's awesome. Well, good. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you filled in some details on that. So because uh, there are a lot of people out there that would love to own a replica, but uh, you know maybe maybe feel that the challenge of building one is a little bit beyond their capability. And as we close out the interview, that's kind of where I wanted to get to next. So if someone came to you as the head of the B9 Robot Builders Club and said, I'm thinking of building a replica, I'm not sure what all that involves, I've looked at the website, what would you as the head, what are the kind of the main things you would want to tell someone? I'm sure you'd want to be encouraging, but how would you, how would oh, yeah. you talk to the person about that? And, uh, yeah, I actually get this question all the time. And, you know, people new and entering the club, and you know, uh, this is something that they wonder. But what I and others that have built a robot tell people is the first thing you want to do is research, research, research. Mm. Um, and as we talked about, there's lots of different ways to build a robot. You kind of have to figure out how you want to do it before you start. How you do it is going to dictate how you do certain things. And there's a lot of different ways to build some of the parts. You could build a, a, a replica robot with all the very best parts out there, and it's going to be a, a considerable investment. You're going to be probably in the five to $7,000 range. If you're going to add a lot of animatronics and things like that, it could be even more. Mm. But there's ways to do it much less expensively. You could probably do it in the two to three thousand dollar range. We've had some guys build a robot for under a thousand bucks. Is that right? Now that's wow, a challenge. 
yeah. that's a challenge because there's a lot of materials that would go into it, but it, it can be done. So you kind of have to, you know, research how you want to do it and, you know, what your level of investment is going to be to research. And part of that is just mulling over all the, 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 the B9 Builders website. A lot of builders have their own uh, blogs in, in journals that outline how they built things. And those are invaluable, uh, seeing how other people did things and, you know, kind of deciding where your, you know, and where your skill level is and, mm. you know, what you think you can learn. And uh, so that that's the best advice I give to, to new members. Uh, taking all that into account, though, in terms of is there a rough idea? And again, I guess it depends on how many off-the-shelf parts you buy and everything. But generally speaking, what would you tell someone is a realistic time frame like this? I want to build my robot in two months. That's probably not uh, even for a really highly skilled person unless it was that, a full That time. would be very challenging. Um, I would say realistically probably a couple years. Okay. I built mine in 15 months, and I was – those last few months before I got to that Fright Vision 2001 show, mm. uh, I was nearly killing myself, you know, working, you know, my regular job and then six or seven hours in the evening on, you know, it was, you know, I did it, but, you know, somebody that doesn't want to kill themselves doing it, you know, probably a couple of years. And also some parts are not always available immediately. Some, some parts you have to, some vendors do parts in runs, and you have to wait for a run. I see. That's just the nature of the, the business. That's how we can get these nice machine parts is, is, you know, by doing them in runs. But we, you know, sometimes there's a wait for that. So there's some patience involved um, to get all the parts. It, you know, people would like to be able to get everything immediately. Um, but, you know, the vendors are just regular guys like, like, like like me and you that are just, you know, basically doing this in their spare time and, and you know, doing things in their garage. Right. Well, that's understandable. Sure. Well, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. You've mentioned a couple times, another qu- sort of round out question for you. You've mentioned a couple of times that you've taken your robot to events and other people have done that. Maybe I'm not ready to commit to building a robot or buying one or even owning one at this point. I really like the robot, but I'd, I'd like to see one in the flesh, so to speak. You guys also publicize events where you know you're going to have robots on the website? Yeah, and we, we've we had a like a regular event that we've done in Denver, Colorado at a show called Starfest, where they kind of just give us a room and, and, and let us display the robots. Uh, and that's usually in, in April, but we have what might be one of the biggest club events uh, since the early Fright Vision shows that's going to happen at a, a convention called Wonderfest in Louisville, Kentucky oh. on June sec- this coming June 2nd and 3rd, 2018, in case you're listening to this two years from now. <laughs> uh, and there may be 10, 11, or 12 full-size B9s there. So if you're interested at all, you might want to look into coming to Wonderfest at uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, we have a, a whole room to ourselves that uh, that the club is actually renting. It, it, there's going to be a lot of club members there, and so it'll be a really neat time. If you're if you're interested in being you know a B9 builder, I can't tell you how valuable it is to actually meet other B9 builders in person. And one of the things I 
discovered, you know, from the club. And I, I had mentioned when I was growing up, I didn't really have any friends that were all that interested the way I was in Lost in Space and other sci-fi. And when I've met some of these people and why I've made such good connections, like Mike Joyce and, and, and some of my other good friends in the in the club, is we found out we have this one interest that we share, robot, but we got lots of other interests that we share too. Meeting and being in, a, in, in an event in a room with the surrounded by people that have all very similar interests to you is just amazing. It's just amazing. It's the one thing I, I never really, I did not count on when I got into the club. It was one of the biggest benefits, the friends I've made, mm. the connections I've made, the doors it's opened up. That is awesome. Well, you've got me intrigued, and as you say, um, you might be listening to this well after the event, uh, uh, but I'm going to make every effort to try to come down to that Wonderfest in Louisville, Kentucky, so um, I can't wait. I've never seen a robot in person, and that's, uh, that is on my bucket list, so I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, of course, for future events, people can go to the B9 Robot Builders Club website and check for upcoming events. And I also just recently discovered apparently there's a Facebook page, which I, well, I know there is. I joined it. So um, I'm sure you also publicize things there as well. Yeah, and that's actually that's actually uh, fairly new. So we now have a B9 Builders Facebook group. So uh, we, we do have an email forum. So that's been our primary way to communicate with, with, with each other. Um, now we also have a Facebook group, and the, the advantage of the Facebook group is it's so much easier to post pictures and videos, which, which is really a valuable tool uh, in building a robot and you know, sharing communications. Uh, so we're trying to expand and, and, and make things easier. And um, you know, Facebook's not popular with everybody, but you know, the, but the, the people that are on it, I think, realize that the advantages of, of how easy it is to, to do some of the things that, you know, sharing information. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that because, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I failed to mention that. It is pretty new, and so I want people to know about that. Well, I, I've been a recent convert to Facebook myself, getting involved with the podcast, so um, I'm still discovering there's a lot of Lost in Space fan pages and groups out there and they're very all very interesting so i was thrilled to see yours out there as well so hey oh you've yeah been... that's, a, that's a good point i just want to expand on that you know that was one of the if, if you're a lost in space fan and you're very interested in lost in space and you're not on facebook you're really kind of missing out there's lots of uh lost in space groups on facebook and you know if you if you're not a fan of facebook or don't like the idea of it I want to just think about it. Give it a second chance. It may not be as bad as you as you think. Yeah. And uh, a good way to connect with other Lost in Space fans. Exactly. Well, you've been so generous with your time, Craig. Before we sign off here, are there any last words you'd like to share with our listeners out there? Well, you know, I, I, if you have the opportunity to come and see a, a B9 robot in person, I don't think you'd be disappointed like I mentioned, I've had my robot at uh, probably a lot of quite a few conventions and things over the years now, and I, I just can't tell you the joy and the that that people get from seeing them. And uh, one thing I didn't mention in this was, uh, you know, we we've been able to get uh, custom phrases done by Dick Tufeld. Oh, and, and, yeah, and that has been that's great. Now Dick is not with us anymore, and that's very unfortunate. 
but uh, some years ago he, he he was able to do a lot of custom phrases for club members and and so we can actually have interactions between our robot and and people looking at him you know you know at a show so we have uh, somebody coming up to the robot and we can have like conversations with uh, with kids and things between the robot. And this is in Dick's original voice. So, uh, you know, so the robot is talking in Dick's voice and he's kind of having a conversation with kids and they just love it. They stand in front of this robot and it's got all these blinking lights and, and they're just mesmerized. And it's so much fun. And if you have a chance to to get out there and see a robot in person, I'd highly recommend it. Well, that's, that's the complete package right there. And I mean, it, I think you'd almost be justified in saying, hey, I met the robot, if you get this <laughs> chance to have an interaction like that. That is so cool. Oh. oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, gosh, thank you so much again, Craig, for, you know, number one, being so generous with your time and coming on our show, um, Alpha Control. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today, getting to hear all your stories. I know this is going to be a real treat for our listeners. And I hope I can ask you sometime in the future to come back and talk a little bit more because I'm sure we just scratched the surface. Well, I could I could talk about I could talk for two or three hours on every single part in the robot and tell you a story that may not be that interesting to to to, to most, but yeah. <laughs> This is this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and I love talking about it. And I really, really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on and and uh, talk to your listeners about it. So thank you very much. Oh, you're more than welcome. So we will, of course, folks, be linking to the B9 Robot Builders Club website, their Facebook group page. Um, I'll try to put the link in to the Wonderfest show that's coming up in Louisville, Kentucky as well. If this is uh, the year 2020, uh, you missed it, but there's probably another show out there. Just keep up with the Facebook page or their group website and, and get out there and take that opportunity to, to meet the robot because uh, that's going to be a real highlight for anybody, especially Lost in Space fans. So thanks again, Craig. It's been so great talking to you. All right, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. I really enjoyed talking with Craig Reinbrecht, and I thought I knew a lot about the robot, but Craig made me realize there was much more to our mechanical friend than I had imagined. Check out the website for the B9 Robot Builders Club, because I think you'll really enjoy it. You might also find out about where and when you might be able to see a B9 Robot replica in person. In the meantime, we will be back next week with another episode of Alpha Control where Kurt and I will get back to reviewing our beloved original, Lost in Space. Until then, take care, and we'll see you then. Thanks, fellow Galactic Castaways, for listening to the Alpha Control Podcast. Please leave your comments or questions on our Facebook page, Twitter, or email us at Alpha Control Podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast via Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. Or through iTunes. If you like the show, please leave us a review as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Same time, same channel.